to the Uproom Frisco podcast. To learn more about your Frisco, please visit uproomfrisco.com. I want to just start off. I want to honor this house and Upper Room. You know, I've traveled a lot of places around the world, uh, many different nations over the last decade, and I've never been to a place quite like Upper Room. I mean that. I mean, and if you, someone has asked, well, what's so special about Upper Room? And this is what I say. You just never know what's going to happen. <laughs> Worship can go an hour. <clears throat> you know, Joel can break out seeing the Lion King song. You know, you just, <laughs> some of you were there for that service. You might remember that. <clears throat> you, you just never know what you're going to get. And I feel like there's such a What's the word? There is such a, uh, a joy the Lord has when he has permission to move about his own home. Yeah. I think so many people say, this is the house of the Lord, but yet there's so many rules and regulations and it doesn't really feel like his house. And, you know, from your pastors to the Millers, they're just phenomenal leaders, phenomenal leadership, phenomenal elders. I just want you to, I want you to understand, I'm, I'm originally from Los Angeles, so I'm not a born and raised Texan. I want you to understand what you have here. Because a lot of times when you are in the midst of this house or you grew up in this church or you've been here so long, you forget what you actually have. You forget that worship isn't like this in many parts of the world. You forget that the presence of God is not highly valued in most churches. And I was thinking about this this morning. What a privilege to be alive in this hour. What a privilege to be around these people, this tribe, our tribe. We get to win souls together. We get to cry Maranatha together. We get to pray for the sick together. God has knitted so many of us together with so many different gifts in this room. But these gifts are not just for this room. And I think one of the greatest gifts as they've been going through this series in Dallas, one of the greatest gifts that we carry is the covenant of, between God and us. I don't know if you know it, that's a gift. You, that's a gift. It's actually one of the greatest gifts that could be displayed. When someone sees the relationship you have with God, it can change everything. And God's covenant with us is so awesome because it really secures us in not screwing up his plan. Can I just take the pressure off of you this morning that you could screw up God's plan? I promise that his ability to fulfill his word is far greater than your ability to screw it up. And you look at God's design and his original design is the family. How many of you are part of a family? How many of you have dysfunction in your family? If you're not raising your hand, you are probably the most dysfunctional family in the church. Some of the kids are putting their heads down, sitting next to their parents, like, I'm not going to look. Let's be honest. We all got crazies in our family, yes? How many of you got a crazy in your family? We all got them. We all got that uncle or that aunt or that cousin. Wish you could meet half of my family. They're not saved. They're crazy. God's unit is the family, and there's no such thing as a perfect family. How many of you know he, the same model he has for family he has for the church? There's no such thing as a perfect church. I meet so many people, especially in the day and age we're living in that are offended with the church. And instead of allowing that offense to be worked out and God to meet them, they start a YouTube channel. They create a post and they rally other wounded people around that wound. 
And there's so many justifications of why they should not go to the church. The church is this, the church is this, the church is this. There is no such thing as a perfect church. And if you find one, don't go to it, you'll screw it up. God so loves the dysfunctions in the room. All of you are very different. Some of you worship like this. Some of you do the open palm. Some of you do the, I don't know what that's called, but you do it. We're all uniquely different. Some of you are still bystanders this morning. You don't quite know what to think about all of this. I get it. I was an atheist before. I stood in the back of a church very skeptical. But what if this morning that shifted? See, who you run with in this hour matters. Do you know that? Understanding the generation you're in matters. You cannot lo no longer say, well, the man, those young kids are crazy. You have to understand you are in this generation if you're breathing. I'm, I realized something the other day. My grandfather is alive. My father is alive. I'm alive. And my son is alive. We are in a unique season of four generations right now. It is for a reason. It is not so that my grandfather complains about my son's generation. There is a moment of blessing that must happen. Understanding the generation you're in matters. Understanding the times we're in as a church that we are in exciting times. And what you may think is boring and mundane is historic. I don't know if you understand that. They will say one day about this generation, how we walked amongst legends in the faith. I don't know if you understand that. Maybe you're new to the faith or you quite don't know what's happened, but they will speak of this generation that broke cultural barriers that the church in the past could not get through. And I want to take a moment to celebrate a few things that you might think is just normal. Probably about 100 years ago, it would not have been normal to have drums inside of a church. Can we celebrate the fact that drums are not demonic in the church anymore? <laughs> That was an awesome golf clap. We're gonna, we're gonna try it again. You know, can I just pause here for a moment? You know, I preached at YWAM Kona. You guys ever heard of YWAM? So it's Youth with a Mission. They have a base out in Kona. And I'll never forget the first time I preached there. Because when I went there, it was like anything I said gospel related, there was this massive celebration. I'd never seen it before. I mean, I was like, and Jesus saved this person. Ah! Like, like kids were on their seats. They were holding up chairs. And then I wanted to do it again because I just wanted to see what they were going to do. I'm like, and this one, and I realized something that hunger is contagious, but so is apathy. You ever sit next to an apathetic person? You ever meet those meh people? Hey, how you doing? Eh. Like, what if this morning we shifted the culture by shifting the expectation? Because if your expectation is, man, I just got to get in and get out, paid my dues, did God a favor. You don't do God a favor by coming to church. I want you to know that. You could throw money in a bucket, come to church every, every Sunday. That, that, that's not doing anything. You can't fool God. What if this morning there was a shift in your heart? There was expectation that grew. There was faith that grew in the midst of chaos. We are living in times right now, I was thinking about this upper room music, which I listened to long before I moved to, Los, to, to, to Dallas, has given permission for people to worship differently in this generation. Can we celebrate that? 
How about this? You may not know this. Do you know that there was a man who's alive right now in his 80s named Lauren Cunningham? Lauren Cunningham, if you don't know who that is, you're going to know. He's a founder of YWAM. In the 60s, Lauren had a dream as a, in a, when he was in his 20s that he would send missionaries all over the world. So in the 60s, he sent four missionaries. As of today, YWAM has sent four million missionaries to the nations in your generation. How about this? You may not know this. Reinhard Bonnke was another man that was alive in your generation. They have seen 80 million souls in Africa saved. Okay, guys, guys, guys. Can we please try this again? I literally just said 80 million. It's like, like y'all don't even know what to do with that. I know we're in Texas. I know you've probably grown up around religion. I'm from California. I'm from LA. I want you to understand something. It is not common to walk into a store and hear Christian music. You know, I found more hunger in the schools in Compton than some churches in America. I'm gonna try this again. In your generation, 80 million souls saved in Africa. 80 million. How about this? In your generation, in Kansas City, a 24-hour house of prayer was raised up 22 years ago. In your generation, day and night, night and day worship. How about this? We're living, you've, you've all probably seen this man named Lou Engel. One of, our, one of our incredible heroes of the faith. Lou Engel has filled stadiums over the last two decades in your generation. The Send is filling another stadium in Kansas City. Gen Z for Jesus, which will be held in Frisco. Riders Field, September 3rd. We've already had close to 6,000 that have pre-regged and registered for this gathering in three months. We still have six months or five months, whatever it is. Do you not witness the times that we're in? Doesn't it feel like something over the last hundred years has been building up? Maybe you haven't recognized it. Maybe you haven't noticed it. Maybe you've been caught so much in the swirl of everything going on. That is exactly what the enemy wants for you to totally miss what God is doing. We are living in an age where missions is becoming normal again. I heard this stat. I'm gonna probably butcher some of the other ones, but I won't say the other ones. I heard this stat that Gen Z in the last year, 80% of Christian Gen Zers have shared their faith. That is the largest wow. ever. Listen, I know you might think, man, but that generation, he's like, absolutely. But they are one of the most boldest, outspoken generations. And guess who's gifted to parent them? If you think that generation's crazy, well, let me look at their mom and dad. There is a reason why you are parenting in the generation where so much identity confusion is flooding the earth. There is a reason why you are parenting. In the, there's a reason if you're a young person, you're a Gen Z, or there's a reason why you are born in this time. 
It's not take God by surprise. There's a reason why you were born in pandemics and talks of war like we've not seen in a while. There is, there is a reason why. I love what Lou says. He says, it's one thing for a man to receive a word from the Lord. It's another thing when that man becomes the word he receives. I see so many congregations where they're sitting on so many words from God, yet they've done nothing. What if today you would say, ah, I'm going to do what you've said. I'm going to obey. I'm going to trust what you've said. Because all that we do in this age matters. Our friends matter. What we listen to matters. What we consume in our hearts matters. I love what Corey Russell, I believe he's a part of this house here. He said, he said this, it blew my mind. He said that information is not neutral. When he said this, it blew my mind. I said, he's preaching on this. He said, information is not neutral. Now, how many of you have phones that you scroll through information? How many of you, your source of news is memes? <laughs> I promise that's not real news, okay? How many of you have ever scrolled? Be honest. How many of you have TikTok? Raise your hand. You have TikTok. If you're older, no shame. Just throw your hand up. Okay. How many have Instagram? Facebook? MySpace? I'm just playing. No one has MySpace anymore. If you do, you heck of old. Okay. Um, now, you scroll through. I want you to know something. Information is not neutral. Bible says in Psalms 1, blessed is a person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. See, when you walk in the wicked's counsel, you will stand amongst their paths and eventually sit in their mockery. Information is not neutral. We must fight for faith to come out of our lips in this hour. When we want to say so much, you know how many posts I've written and deleted and did not post? Because I realize I want faith to come from my lips. I want faith to come from my fingertips. You following me? Hunger cannot be optional anymore for us. We can't have optional hunger. Hunger equals health. How many of you have ever been sick? What's the first thing that goes? Your appetite. If there was a lack of hunger for God, here's a beautiful thing. Hunger for God doesn't, it doesn't matter what Enneagram you are, what cultural upbringing you are. I have more people quoting Enneagrams in the scriptures. I'm like, <laughs> I know you mad. Your past, your pain, you're enlisted right now into what God's doing. Do you get that? Like if you're hearing this message, there is an invitation. You know, when God told me to go to high schools, I was 18. I got saved when I was, I was a 16 year old atheist. I got radically saved when they had a church. And I was, man, I was bold for my atheism. I would challenge any Christian that I would meet. And then one day I met God. Changed my life. Radically, radically. Then they take me to this youth camp and I'm 18 years old and I'm crying in the back of a room encountering God. And he tells me to go to high schools. And I remember telling the Lord, you got the wrong guy. I can't even clean my room. Like, <laughs> I don't come, I want you to understand something about me. I don't come from a big Christian ministry background. It's not like I got saved and I had all these connections. I mean, the only one that served God in my family was my grandma. She was kind of crazy. She'd have oil and anoint everything and speak in tongues. That was my grandma. Thank God for that woman. You knew, it, you knew it was going down when her, when her hands started to 
She had them Holy Spirit hands, you know what I'm talking about? Them grandma hands dripping with oil. That was my grandma. I got radically saved. But I remember realizing something, that in that moment there was an invitation. And the invitation could be an interrupt. The, the, the invitation could be an interruption and an inconvenience, or it can stay an invitation that you're invited into. And it's something that you say yes to. Can I say a few more things before I jump into the Bible? We cannot afford any longer to build theology on experiences. <laughs> I've seen this so much. You cannot build theology on momentary affliction or offense or things that go on within church. You can't build a theology. Your theology must be built on God's character and who he is, not on the response of people, leaders, politics. Momentary affliction produces a faith that is not easily broken. And faith and hope are the two things you need, but they're a little bit different. I don't know if you know this. Faith says one day. Like one day this is going to happen. How many of you had faith for something? We're in March. You've been holding on to your New Year's resolution for the gym. Faith, right? Me too. Faith. Faith says one day. Hope is different. Hope says today. There's a difference. Hope puts a demand on your faith to see God move now. I don't know if you've ever had those moments. Typically, they're moments of crisis. Can't pay a bill. Someone you love has cancer. Someone's dying. And all of a sudden, your prayers change from just prayers of faith where you begin to become hopeful that what you're praying for actually can come to pass. And I think this is our invitation today that hope would be the very fuel to our prayers. That this morning, disqualifications over your life, the list of disqualifications that you've created would disappear. How many have a list of disqualifications of why God can't do something in your life? Anybody? It's like I'm talking like the first two rows here. Anybody? Man, the rest of you are just wild saints. Come on. Probably descended today, this morning from heaven. Just kidding. No more disqualifications. There must be a re-enlisting. If you're older, how many people are a little bit older here? You don't have to raise your hand. I could just look at you. <laughs> Can I tell you something? You're not off the hook. Your gray hair doesn't disqualify you. It actually qualifies you. According to the Bible. See, this generation, Gen Z, they have information. But information is different than wisdom. Well, I watched a video on how to change a tire. Can you do it? No. <laughs> there is a certain level of wisdom that is needed. You know what's crazy? You know when Jesus died, he didn't retire? It wasn't like it says and he retired and played golf with the father all the days of his life. <laughs> golf and wine wasn't on his list. Man, I want to provoke this in you. Could I just talk to moms and dads for a moment? I want to provoke this in you. You are one of the most valuable assets to this generation. 
And if you've got another 30 to 40 years left on this earth, don't squander it. Don't squander it, which is pleasing the things in which you wanted to do and feeling like, well, I am, I am self-entitled now to rest and relax. I just never see that in the Bible. There is much work to be done. There is much work. Jesus, right now, he has a job. You know what he's doing? What is he doing? He's interceding. He wouldn't be interceding if the work was done. What he did when he said it is finished, what he did was finished here. There is now a baton that's been passed to us. Do you get that? And it's never, it's never been about what we have, it's about who we have. I wanna tell you a quick story. Before I do, I just wanna ask you, take off all your political hats for a moment. Can we do that? Some of you are like, no, I, I'm gonna keep it on. <laughs> promise you Jesus is not Republican or a Democrat, okay? Can we just have a conversation here? Okay, the story I'm about to tell you is purely not political. It's, it's, it's hilarious. I get invited in 2018 to uh, Donald Trump's house in Mar-a-Lago for nothing got real quiet here, for, for nothing uh, political. There was a fundraiser for kids in Africa and they just happened to use his facility and there was a Christian organization and they were just going to host it there. And for some reason they invited me. I'm like, I don't have any money, but I'll, I'll come. So I, I go and, um, so, I mean, I, I literally didn't have any money. So they like rented me a tuxedo. They like, like, you know, the person helped take care of me. They got me there. So I go in, I'm in a tuxedo. I've never wore a tuxedo in my life. Okay. Now I'm from a single parent home. We use like pixie cups and, and plastic forks in my house. My dad, my dad wasn't doing dishes. Okay. I, I, I come from an abusive family. I come from a broken family. All of a sudden, I'm in a tuxedo. I'm in Mar-a-Lago. So we get on this bus, and we have to get under the bus to go through these gates to get in. And Donald Trump's president at the time, and he's actually going to be on the location at the time. So security is heightened, right? Now, we get on this bus. Before we go in, they bring, um, like, you know, drug-sniffing, bomb-sniffing dogs onto the, pl onto the bus. So, they, you know, they're going around. I'm looking at my buddy. I'm like, they're going to get you. I'm totally messing with them. <laughs> so we get there. We walk in. And at the entrance, there's metal detectors. The Secret Service is all there. They're wanting us. And we go in. So we go into the backyard. Now, the backyard is immaculate. I've never seen nothing like it. There's ice sculptures. I mean, you come to my house, you're going to get an ice cube, you know? <laughs> And, and then there's, there is mountains of food. Sushi, like I've never seen. Waiters are carrying around plates of lamb and like this green jelly stuff. I don't even know what it was, but I wanted it. And I had one question in that moment. Is it free? Because I'm not trying to get a bill at the end of this. You know what I mean? Like I'm racking it up. They go, oh, this is great. And give me the, I'm not trying to pay no bill. So I call the waiter. I'm like, hey, come here. Is that free? He's like, yes. I just start loading up my plate, right? So this is like, I'm just walking around. And I, all of these people are way out of like my monetary league. I'm just like, they're probably looking at me like, what are you doing here, you know? But I'm eating the sushi. So then they, they move us into the next phase of the, of, the, of the fundraiser. And so that was like the, the pre, that was the appetizer. I didn't know that, but that was the appetizer. So then they move us into the main dining, uh, right? So we, we walk into the main dining hall, but before we walk in, we go to like this golden room thing and there's like harp players. 
I'm like, dude, you come to my house, you're getting a Bluetooth speaker. Like, you know, this is, this is just so different. So we go in and I knew that I was in a fancy place when there was a plate for my plate. I was like, dude, what is going on? You have a plate for your plate? So I'm there with my friend, Nick Vojacek. You know who that is? He's no arms and legs. Nick has been a friend and a mentor for a long time. And so I'm there with Nick. If you don't know Nick, Nick has, he's, he has no limbs. He's traveled all over the world. He's preached the gospel to tons of people. Awesome guy. So we're there with him and we get done eating. And th this is this beautiful ballroom. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's amazing. It looks like Beauty and the Beast. It's incredible. It's at this hotel. So I'm sitting there with Nick and we're talking and all of a sudden this guy runs in and he goes, Donald Trump's coming. And so I look at Nick and I'm like, Nick, Donald Trump's coming. And Nick's like, are you sure? I'm like, hold on. And I look and as far as the eye could see, his hair was shining <laughs> as bright as a morning sun. I mean, it was, I said, Nick, he's, he's coming. Now I wanna just make this statement. I honor leadership. If it would have been President Obama, even Biden, I would have honored because the president is the president. And if he goes down, we go down. How dumb is it to wish ill on your pilot? Who's the idiot? Just saying. I'm sitting here. I go, Nick, it's Donald Trump. All of a sudden, Nick, he has a little foot. He calls it a drumstick. He calls it that. Um, so he controls his wheelchair. So all of a sudden, Nick's like, Zzzz. he just starts, he starts moving his wheelchair and secret service start flooding into the room. Everybody back, everybody back, everybody back, everybody back. But they don't push Nick back because that'd be jacked up. He has no limbs. So he's like, Zzzz. just goes right between them. And I'm like, so one of Nick's like bodyguards is there and one of my friends, one of my friends, and he's like, hey, I'm with Nick. And they're like, go ahead. And I'm like, I'm with Nick too. Go ahead. So I get in, right? So I remember I'm standing here. It's me, it's Nick, it's President Trump. And I have this thought, how the heck did I get here? Like, I remember where I came from, man. I remember being a scared boy, rocking myself because my mom was getting beat outside my room. How did I get here? I'm standing in front of a president of the United States. And I thought, oh, it's because of him. And some of you are like, Jesus, no, Nick. I know some of you are thinking, Jesus, no, Nick. And I had this thought, this must have been how the disciples felt when they got to witness certain things, not because of their own qualifications or what they had, but who they had. You know, you might've heard me share this story before. Todd White has been a friend of mine for a long time. And first time I ever met Todd, you guys know Todd White? First time I ever met Todd, um, I was doing a very small conference in LA and this kid runs in and he's like, Todd White's here. And I'm in a meeting right before the conference. And I'm like, Todd White is not here. Like, hey bro, like we're meeting. He's like, Todd White's here. I'm like, bro, Todd White, you're lying. He's not here. Like, go. He's like, bro, Todd White is here. I'm like, what does he look like? He has dreads. I'm like, crap, he's here. So I go outside. <laughs> And it's Todd White, he just randomly showed up to this meeting. And I'm like, how you doing, Mr. White? He's like, hey buddy, come here, right? And he hugs me and his dreadlock goes in my mouth. Now, I don't know how anointing is transferred, but I'm like, dude, I'm gonna get whatever I can get, you know? So long story short, I meet Todd, we become friends. 
Maybe a couple months later, he comes back out to LA. Now, if you've ever driven in Los Angeles, you would know that our traffic is demonic, right? If you, if you want to test your salvation, you drive there on Saturday at about three o'clock and it'll really test how saved you are. So I meet Todd, I pick him up from the airport from LAX. We're driving to a meeting at the church and, um, if you've heard this story, just bear with me. So we're driving to this to this uh, this meeting of the church, and I'm, I'm having a rough day that day. I don't know if you've ever had a rough day. I, I've had rough days. So I look at Todd. I'm like, man, have you ever had a, have you ever had a bad day? He's like, not in ten years, buddy. I'm like, yeah, me either. Just checking, you know. So it was. Anyways, we're driving, and all of a sudden, this motorcyclist wrecks in front of us. And me being an awesome Christian, put my blinker on. I'm going to just go around this guy, you know? I'm like, well, he, he's screwed anyway. So I'm just going to go around him. And Todd looks at me and goes, stop the car. And I'm like, we're on the freeway. He goes, hey, buddy, stop the car, you know? And I'm thinking, I don't know how y'all do on the East Coast, but on the West Coast, we don't stop cars. He's like, hey, buddy, stop the car. You know, I felt like it was, you know, Peter and G, do you love me? Yes, do you love me? Yes. If you don't get that joke, you don't read your Bible. Um, so... I pull over and Todd jumps out of the car and he runs over to the guy, picks up his bike. I jump out of the car because I just want to go see what's going on. I get there and I walk into this conversation that Todd White's having with this guy. And it's probably not the conversation I was expecting. This guy just wrecked his bike. He scratched up. His bike is destroyed. And Todd's telling him, hey, buddy, you need Jesus. I'm thinking to myself, this is the worst time to evangelize anybody. You know what I mean? Imagine like you're riding your skateboard, you fall, you scrape your face. Hey, you need Jesus, man, right? I mean... Most of us in America, when we go witness, we, you know, we take someone to Starbucks, buy them a latte. We're like, oh man, how'd this get here? Uh, you know, it, 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 no one's really that forward. And Todd's like, hey, you need Jesus, man. The guy goes, I don't got time for that. Todd goes, you almost died. Do you think it's time now? And I was like, ooh, he got you. And the guy goes, my parents go to church, man. Todd goes, that don't mean nothing. You need Jesus for yourself. The guy goes, Fine, I'll receive him. I was like, how'd you do that? Like, he leads the guy to Christ. Long story short, he goes back to the car, grabs a wad of $100 bills. I follow Todd because I don't want to be awkwardly standing with this guy like, hey, how's your bike? You know, so I go back with Todd. He grabs this wad of cash. He goes up to the guy and he says, hey, man, all your life, Christians have been hypocrites. He goes, yeah, they have. He goes, they've even robbed you of money. Yeah, how do you know that? He's like, my father told me, and my father's no thief. And he hands the guy the money, and the guy begins to weep on the freeway uncontrollably. And in that moment, I realized I am experiencing something because of who I'm with. There was another time I went to Whole Foods. Last story, I went to Whole Foods with Todd because he eats super healthy. I don't, but he does. Um, <laughs> So we go to this Whole Foods and we're, you know, we're, we load up the basket, we get in the car, we're driving out of the parking lot and Todd goes, stop the car. I mean, I'm about to drive out into the street. I stopped the car. He jumps out of the car in the Whole Foods parking lot, runs back to the guy, you know the guys that push the carts? So he goes up to this guy. So I look back and he's like, goes up to this guy, I find a parking space. By the time I'm done parking, I get out, the guy who's pushing the carts is on his knees crying in the parking lot with his hands raised. So Todd gets in the car, he's like, all right, buddy, let's go. I'm like, what just happened? He's like, well, I just went up to him and I says, hey, today you held a gun to your head this morning and you told God that if he was real, he would send you a sign. And the guy starts crying, goes, how do you know that? How do you know that? I held a gun to my head this morning 
And I said, God, if you're real, send a sign. He goes, I'm your sign. Gave his life to Christ. So here's what we're going to do. Next few moments here. I want to break disqualification by looking at what the Bible qualifies as a historical moment. Let me read you this real quick. Book of John chapter 6. Follow me. Let me read this. I'm going to set the scene for you. It says, after these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the sea of, of Galilee. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down by his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was near. Therefore, Jesus lifting up his eyes, seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, said to Philip. Now, if you ever look at the life of the disciples, you're going to find, you're going to find something interesting. There were certain disciples that had their name written a little bit more than others. And I don't think it's because Jesus had favorites. I think it's because they were able to risk a little bit more than others. But Jesus's heart as a really good leader always wanted his buddy's names in the book. This was one of those moments. Have you ever like thought about this? Bible says that if every miracle of Jesus was recorded, what? The libraries of the world couldn't contain it. So you ever read like, why did this story make it? Like this story doesn't seem significant when you read it. I mean, he feeds people, but it just kind of like the, the, the scenery. And I look at this and I'm like, man, Jesus is in this dilemma. There's thousands of people that are coming towards him. You following me? And he notices an opportunity. Ah, we're going to feed him. So what does he do? He finds the most unlikely guy in his group, Philip. You're like, who exactly? <laughs> Philip. And this is what he says. He says to Philip, Philip, where are we to buy bread so that all of these may eat? Now, I don't know if you remember high school or junior high. How many of you remember high school or junior high? How many of you don't want to remember high school or junior high? How many of you remember math? I know some of you, it's, it's painful. How many of you know that the odd answers were in the back of the book? Like if you got the odd answers wrong, I don't know what to tell you. They were literally in the back of the book. Those are the only ones I got right. Okay. I got 50 out of 50 on every math, anything. Okay. Now Jesus is telling Philip, where are we to buy bread so that all of these may eat? I could imagine he's like, And Philip responds with this. You ready? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew he was intending to do. Verse 7, Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for everyone to receive even a little. 200 denarii worth of bread was eight months worth of paychecks. Philip's like, look, man, you can save all your paychecks for eight months. We can't feed these people with that. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere comes this random disciple. Let me read. You following? You following? Yeah. Verse 8. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, pause there. Now, what you got to know about Andrew is Andrew is whose brother? Whose? Now, how many have siblings? Anybody? How many know sibling rivalry is real? How many have ever fought your sibling before? How many have ever beat down your sibling before? How many have ever been beat down by your sibling? How many of you hate when your sibling borrows your clothes without asking? 
How many of you know there is this constant competition? Now, what makes us think that that did not exist in the Bible? Could you imagine being the brother to the guy that walks on water? Like, that's your brother. <laughs> like, hey, what'd you do today? Just walked on water. What'd you do? <laughs> Nothing, right? I mean, like, like, I can imagine these moments. You following me? I can imagine these moments where they had a long day with Jesus. They were walking with Jesus. Peter's exhausted. Andrew's exhausted. They're laying down as brothers do, and they start swapping stories. I can imagine Andrew having so many moments of like, God, why can't I have miracles like that? Can I ask you a question? Are you tired of applauding other people's stories of faith? Like you just clapped for those Todd White stories, but nowhere probably in your mind did you ever think you would stop on the freeway? You following this? Aren't you tired of applauding what other people are doing for God? And there's so much history to be written with you. There's so much in your yes this morning. I can imagine that all the stories that Andrew and Peter were swapping provoked Andrew of like, I'm just gonna, when's my moment? When's my moment? And all of a sudden, Jesus is talking to Philip. Philip responds in doubt and Andrew interrupts him. Now, the only way for Andrew to have known when to interrupt is he must have been. Two hundred denarii's worth is not sufficient. And all of a sudden, it says one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's Peter brother, said to him. Next verse. There is a lad here. There is a boy here, who has five barley loaves and two fishes. But what are these for? So many stop. That is the most randomest statement to interrupt anybody with. Put that in context. 200 denarii's worth is not sufficient. Hey, there's a boy here who has fish and bread. Jesus is probably like, good, good job. But what are these for so many? Next verse. Jesus had the people sit down. And what you find as you keep on reading is Jesus, everyone sits down and he asked this boy for his lunch. Let me pause for a moment. I want to take our attention really quick off of Philip, off of Andrew and off of Jesus. And I want to talk really quick about this unnamed boy. How many of you ever were forced to go to church at least once in your life? Raise your hand. Come on, raise your hand at least once. How many of you know the worst thing when you're a kid or a teenager? It's like Sunday, you want to watch cartoons, eat Captain Crunch. They still have Captain Crush and Gen Z? Okay. I don't, know, I, don't know what, I don't know if you guys got some special cereal or something. All of a sudden, your mom comes. Get up. We're going to church. God, oh, man. Hurry up. We're leaving in 15 minutes. Could you imagine like back then? Hey, hurry up. Come on, Jesus is talking. We got a 15-hour walk. I, mean, I don't know how long it took. Could you imagine though? Could you imagine this unnamed boy following his mom to the meeting. Probably like some of you, maybe didn't even want to be here this morning. Someone brought you. And then the boy gets there with his mom. And according to the, to the Bible, there was 5,000 people. Could you imagine this boy getting to the meeting with his mom and all of a sudden his mom's like, I want to sit in the front. 
because I don't know how else Jesus would have seen him in the back. Could imagine the boy being taken through 5,000 people just to get in the front row seat of Jesus. But he got one thing on his mind. That boy got one thing. It's not the prophet. It's not Jesus. It's not anything. It's his Jewish Lunchable. Fish and bread. I know some of your minds have already transitioned to lunch. I get it. I'm going to let you out soon. Stay with me. It's Jewish Lunchable. Sit in the front. And all of a sudden, Jesus. Hey, can I have that? Boy's like, what? It's not what happens. Bible says this boy gives up his lunch and history was written. What does that tell me? That the qualifications to write history are a lot lower than you think. You think that this is it. Oh, if I've made it to sing like him, man, that's it. If I could preach like, oh man, no, no, no. Do you understand that God writes history with lunches? If he could write history with a lunch, what could he do with a life? When I was 18 years old and God told me to go to high schools, I was weeping because all I could think about was the divorce that I went through as a child, the abuse that I suffered, the brokenness that I had, the suicidal attempts the depression and I felt like what do I have to give you what do you want I don't got nothing I got a voice if you want that you can have it and I've seen that yes take my life for a decade you know Nick Vojcik my friend no arms and legs it's funny when kids ask him what happened he says cigarettes The other day I was doing a Zoom with him and I'm like, oh, is that Gio's head? He's like, yeah, sure ain't mine. <laughs> He's hilarious. You know, Nick started preaching when he was 18. You know why he started preaching? He was getting bullied in his high school. Kids were bullying him because he had no arms and legs. And this janitor came. Said, hey. You're gonna speak all over the world one day. And Nick's like, I ain't got no arms and legs. How am I gonna speak all over the world? Well, because of that janitor's words, Nick decided to preach in his Bible club at his high school. Nick has now preached to 700 million around the world. Listen to this. Because when earth sees a janitor, heaven sees a prophet. You cannot disqualify yourself. I'm just a mom. I'm just a dad. I just work at the bank. I just, I mean, you understand you are all well equipped. And too many times we've made worship about what God can give us. Can we take the next few minutes and flip it around a little bit? Can we close with worship, but this moment of worship is not about what God can give you. It's not about you getting tingles in your hands or feeling good. What if the next five, three, four minutes, I don't care what it is, what if the worship that happened in the room was what you can bring to God? And what if nothing was disqualified? Fish and bread, miraculous miracle, 
5,000 were fed. Your simple yes can feed the masses. You know, I remember when my grandma came over, I used to kind of judge my grandma because I, I felt like, what has she done great for God? You know, like she just has a oily hands and I don't know what she's, because I've been in ministry for a while and the Lord showed me my pride. He's like, oh, Brian, you think you're great because you've done this. You have what you have because of that woman who's just been faithful. She's not famous, but she's faithful. What do you have to bring this morning? Will you stand with me? Here's the beautiful part about the next two minutes. It has nothing to do with me. I'm done. What do you want to bring to God right now? What do you want to bring? Maybe you're like, man, I can, I can bake cookies and give them to the homeless. I can, I could smile. Do you know how, how, what a smile could do for somebody? Man, I can just go and, 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 and work at a pregnancy clinic. I don't know what it is. Maybe you go to a job that's secular and maybe tomorrow God lays on your heart just to, just to bring something to somebody. Everybody's qualified. Would you lift your hands all over this place? And whatever it is that you want to bring, whatever it is that you want to bring, will you just begin to let it be your worship right now? Come on, but here's what we're gonna do. I want you to actually tell the Lord, let it come out of your lips. This is what I'm bringing. Come on, this is what I'm bringing. No one's disqualified. Father, thank you in Jesus' name that everyone plays a role here. God, I pray today, discouragement would break off this room. Disqualification would break off this room. God, every lie that there is nothing they have to bring would break in Jesus' name that this room would erupt God with yeses yeses to the gospel yeses God to reach the ends of the earth oh, I even feel like there's nations in here that God's placed on your hearts that you have yet to go to Lord awaken that call I feel like there's someone in this room that when you were younger God gave you a nation and success God in the way of that Lord we pray you would awaken those God-given yeses again in dreams. Come on, all over the room, lift your voice and just begin to tell the Lord what you want to bring. God, we pray hunger and desperation right now, Lord. What erupt in this room in Jesus' name.